um, which eventually led me to be using like crack and heroin. You know, I was never injected, but you find yourself in those settings. Mm. You know, there's a bit of foil being passed around and then all of a sudden you're smoking heroin. I taught myself a self-talk technique, which I basically opened up a dialogue with my mind. My brother was unconscious and then we couldn't feel the pulse. So we started, I mean, I, can't, I don't want to go too much into this because it gets quite yeah. upset. Was you working while you were smoking crack? You know, if you... we had the cure to cancer, you know, it just, it wouldn't be getting out there. You know, unfortunately, I think we just live in a in a society where society doesn't want you to know these things. Nice. See, the thing with vaccinations, it's not like the pharmaceutical industry. See, when companies, there's, there's a universal law, or a universal law, a worldwide law, that says that you cannot sue for a vaccination. You could sue a company for a pharmaceutical drug, but you can't sue for vaccinations. And that's how they've got away with it. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, I've read up a bit about yourself and uh, been on your website and, and seen your journey and, and your story and everything like that. And it's, to, to be honest, really, um, it's great to see somebody turning a, a negative in their life into such a positive um, and a great way of uh, helping everyone else who who may have been through the same thing and trying to prevent, obviously, others. So do you want to just sort of go through your background so everyone else knows what you do and, and sort of how you got into what you got into? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, the story, do you know, what? I've, I've said this story so many times. It's um, but it really just it starts off in childhood, you know, from the age of seven, growing up in the uh, early 70s, um, being introduced to smoking at a young age from about the age of seven not from my parents, but from, you know, older kids and that that were smoking, um, which, you know, at the time was just curiosity, you know, didn't really fully understand addictive substances, nicotine, um, just wanted to be like older children, you know, trying to be like an adult, if you like. Um, but unfortunately, it came with consequences and that nicotine addiction turned into an alcohol addiction, then turned into a cannabis addiction, then turned into, you know, recreational drugs, um, which eventually led me to be using like crack and heroin. So, you know, I never look at myself like a, a crack and heroin addict. Um, I just sort of got caught up in that world through someone that I was working with. You know, I was recreationally drinking and sniffing cocaine but he was at work smoking crack and I didn't really fully understand, you know, like when he said, do you want a, a lug of it? You know, I took a lug of it, um, you know, and I mean, I always promised myself that I would never get involved with drugs like that. You know, when we grew up, we used to watch this TV program called Grain Chill. Mm -hmm. So it was about like this school setting and, but one of the main characters, Zamo, got strung out on heroin you know, and it was like the demise of this character, which was a really good character, you know, was quite shocking for us growing up as, as school kids, you know. And so I always remember us, you know, making a pledge that we would never be that. We would never, you know, become that. Um, but after years of taking drugs, I found myself 
in that, you know, and you start off with smoking a bit of a joint and then you go out with this guy and then you're smoking it through a pipe. Um, and then the next thing you find yourself, you know, where people are, you know, I've never injected, but you find yourself in those settings, mm. you know, there's a bit of foil being passed around and then all of a sudden you're smoking heroin. So, so, you know, to go from, a you know, I would say we, we had a pretty good upbringing. I had good parenting, good schooling. You know, we never had a lot, but, you know, we never we never sort of went without, you know, the, the typical, I don't know, way that, you know, psychiatry or that look at, you know, an addict, if, if you was to label someone, would be that you're from a broken family, you know, disjointed, you know, upbringing, you know, dysfunctional experiences but you know but isn't that all our story you know isn't you know we're all from you know who lived with 2.3 kids and it was a happy growing up i mean you know it's it's you know the world's just not that way is it so so to try and label it's it's too easy to try and label people that's the reason why you're an addict you know the reason that i got involved with drinking drugs because i wanted to experience it i wasn't having a bad time i thought i need escapism and i'm going to go and use these drugs i wanted to use these drugs i wanted to experience what it was like was how do you how do you get drunk you hold your nose you pour a drink down and see if you can get drunk you know it was disgusting tasting but we wanted the experience of it so you know but does that make me an addict was i born this way am i gonna you know all of this i don't know labeling that that people seem to give but so anyway so then as i said growing up in the late 70s getting into the the late 80s you know there was ecstasy there was lsd there was you know cannabis there was cocaine i mean we just got sucked into that world but you know it all started from the age of seven smoking my first cigarette so but once i got to the you know the crack and heroin you know i realized i was in trouble you know and i needed to get myself out and i went through doctors i started at the doctors said i've got these issues doctor said no problem we got these pills so i took these tablets you know they probably helped a bit but i carried on taking the drugs um i tried hypnotists i tried support groups um it wasn't until I came across a guy called Alan Carr, which is like a stop smoking guy. And I read this book, Easy Way to Stop Smoking. And I think that was the first time that I sort of realized that there was a way out because I read this book. I stopped smoking. It wasn't difficult. I didn't want any cigarettes and felt like I was a non-smoker. But because I was still taking drugs, it wasn't too long before I smoked another cigarette. I was back in the trap. Um, and then I thought, well, I've just got to read this book again. I read the book again, but this time it didn't work. And, you know, and that was quite frustrating. So I read it again and read it again and went to a support group. So, so, but the reason it didn't work. And now after, you know, several years of understanding all of this, the mind became astute to the program. It knew what I was trying to do. So I rejected the Alan Carr process and, and wouldn't come along with me. And so every time I read it, it just didn't work. I never got the same feeling. I wasn't free of it. I was still craving it. Um, but that experience then sent me on a journey of discovery. Because if I had got out and I have, had felt that experience of freedom, how could I get back there? Because I actually then realized, because I had these freedoms before, up until the age of seven, because up until the age of seven, there was no physical want and need to do any of these things. 
So if I was born this way and through the Alan Carr method, I, I got out, but then I got back in, but then I couldn't get out. There must be a way back. And so that's what I went in search for. And, you know, if you understand like universal models and, and what you put out is what you get back in that, because I set out on this journey, there were things that were being presented to me that, that, that helped me understand the way back. And one of those uh, things was I, I watched the matrix, you know, the matrix, Keanu yeah. Reeves, they just produce or come out with the, I think the fourth one or whatever it is, mm -hmm. but the actual original film, I don't know. I just watched it by chance. I think it was, I think it came out in 99. I probably watched it on a DVD or VHS or something like in 2020, not 2020, in 2000. And it, by watching that film, and I don't know if it was an immediate thing, I watched this film and something triggered inside of me. And then the following day, it was that I had this like enlightenment, if you like, or, or realisation that there was me trying to get out of my predicament. But every time I tried to get out, my mind and body would punish me. So I'd get bad thoughts, bad feelings. So if I stop smoking, stop drinking, so I'm never going to take another drug for the rest of my life, you know, and I use willpower, but I felt good at the moment I made the decision. But an hour later, I felt really bad about myself. And a day later, it was awful, you mm. know. And so so I quickly realized that there was an internal system that was, was affecting my conscious decision-making. But when I watched this film, The Matrix, there was like a light bulb moment that went off inside of me thinking, that's the answer. You know, we are living in some type of matrix, some some kind of system. If you think about the universe, the mind, the physical body was all part of a system, not like, you know, some sort of evil system that was set up to control us. But there was a control system that was going on inside of me. And I never recognized that. Mm. I just thought my thoughts, my feelings, my body is just me. And whatever's coming through me is what I am. And so I must act out what it is. But then by watching The Matrix and looking, not at The Matrix as a science fiction film, but looking at The Matrix as a model, I was able to map back the system that was going on inside of me. The, the realisation that my mind and body were acting independently of me because mm -hmm. I'm trying to get myself out. But every time I tried to get out, the system would kick in and, and punish me. And so with what by watching the film and the realization of this system, I was able to disconnect myself from it. And then what I'd done is I taught myself a self-talk technique, which I basically opened up a dialogue with my mind because the realization, I can't get rid of my mind, I can't get rid of my body because without my mind and body, I can't exist. So, so I realized I can't get rid of it. And this is a very powerful system because I now, you know, fully understand that my mind controls my thoughts, 50, 70,000 thoughts a day, 27 different emotions. And the way I feel about myself was the control of the system. So so realizing that I thought, well, I, I'm not going to win in a fight because all I've got is self-talk. So and I don't control my thoughts, feelings and emotions. So so if I'm going to win this, I need to open up a dialogue and start to explain to my mind the reasons why I want to stop. And, you know, and if you could help me, I'm sure we can get back to our natural state of being. And we don't need to live with these substances or activities and stuff that was causing me a lot of harm and pain. 
And honestly, the moment I opened up a dialogue, I felt an emotional shift. Mm. I still remember to this day exactly where I was standing. I opened up a dialogue and it was like my mind had been discovered. It's like my mind had, had hidden itself from me for, I don't know how old I was, but say like 30 years old, had hidden for 30 years of my life. And when I opened the dialogue, I recognised it. It went into like shock. It went, oh, because I was now speaking to the mind. And once you speak to the mind, the mind then loses the power over you. Mm. It's like, yeah, you know, and that's why I use that word enlightenment, but it's not a religious thing. I mean, it's literally, it's it's recognition of something that, that exists inside of us. And and from that, I was able to reprogram my mind, switch off the want and need to, to, to take crack, to take heroin. I then went on later on to get rid of the nicotine, the alcohol. You know, I, I basically released myself from the burdens that I thought I was trapped in, you know, basically for a lifetime. And, you know, and so that was my story up until then. And from that, you know, I then gained power, awareness. I went on and started a, a business. You know, I made that business really successful. The only problem was my twin brother, I got like an older brother and a twin brother, you know, they were still on their own journeys. My my twin brother had, he never went on to crack and heroin, but he certainly had an alcohol problem and a cocaine problem. But he was very successful in the travel industry so um, and he had a very good job and he was sent around the world to to, you know, check out hotels and, and, and you know, exotic, you know, destinations and stuff. But with that was a lot of hospitality. So he ended up with like quite a bad drink problem. Mm. So he went into rehab um, and followed like the AA model, you know, the 12 steps and stuff like that. So so even though I'd got myself out, he was on a on a slightly different journey. Um and then there was like, I don't know, we were going clubbing in 1989 and 25 years later, 2014, one of the clubs that we were, went to back in the day had a 25-year reunion. And I said to my brother, look, do you want to go along? I mean, at the time I was completely drinking drug-free. Um, and he said, yeah, we'd go along, see some old friends and stuff. But when we got there, um, he said to me, I'm going to take a pill, I'm going to take an E. And I said, like, what's the point? We ain't taking these in years. They're all crap. Don't do it. And he said, no, I'm only going to take one. I'll be all right. And I said, all right, I'll keep an eye on you. But then what he done, he ended up taking about three or four. But the problem with us, well, not with us, but, you know, life in general, is the physical body can only go on so long, taking abuse from drinking drugs. So, you know, he'd taken about three or four ecstasy pills. But basically what had happened is his body had rejected the drug. And so the the drug had now got into his system and it was going through his organs and, and, and his heart and stuff. So basically the drug had started to shut down his body. Um, and then in the club, he had like a sort of fit, not a fit or a seizure, but he was in a bad way. So we got him out of the club and he was having difficulties. And so I had to sit him outside the club and I said, look, I'm, I'll go get the car you know, we get you home, you know, I didn't at the time sort of recognize how serious I knew it was bad, but I didn't know how bad it was because I didn't know what was going on inside of him. And um, so anyway, I went to get the car. When I got back with the car, a crowd had gathered around where I just left him outside the club. 
and I got through the crowd and my brother was unconscious um, and someone was on the phone and an ambulance was on its way. Um, and then we couldn't feel a pulse. So we started, I mean, I can't, I don't want to go too much into this because it gets quite yeah. upsetting. But, yeah, of course. You know, so, but, you know, be it three or four hours later, we lost, I lost my twin brother. So sorry to hear that. I, um, I, I actually thought when I read your story that that was the, the change. Um, what obviously you, you, what you had to then obviously change your life around for it to already change your life around and then go through that. That must be even harder because it's kind of like probably felt like it didn't need to happen. Yeah. I mean, I can't, yeah, I can't even, you, I can't even put into words what I went through, mm. you know, and, and I, I was actually, I was out around six or seven years before that happened but like people that know people that are in recovery it's it's a very personal journey and and i've got you know two of my best friends a similar time when i got out went down the aa route and you know they've been following aa for for, for the last 16 17 years it's kept, kept them clean and sober you know but whereas what i done i got out through you know, reprogramming the mind and switching off. But every time we meet up and that, we don't ever like discuss that journey. Does that make sense? I know mm -hmm. that they've gone on a different journey. So we don't ever sort of cross lines. And it was similar to my brother, like he'd chosen to go down a sort of different route. So I had to sort of allow that to happen. Mm. You know, so, you know, I, you know, I have a lot of guilt and shame, not shame, but a lot of guilt that, you know, but which we would all naturally have. Like I should have done something more. I should have, you know, drummed into him how I got out, you, you know, all of these things. I mean, I, I, you know, I probably went down for about six months in a pretty dark depression after, mm. you know, I, you know, I've almost let go of my business. I just, I couldn't, you know, after you experience so much pain like that, you know, life isn't really, you know, you do question actually being here, you know, yeah. so, but, but, you know, I had a son, a wife, you know, a young son, uh, you know, my wife, and that's really what, you know, I had to make a decision, you know, am I going to stay, am I going to go? I mean, it was that touch and go, mm. but I made the decision to stay, but by making the decision to stay, I decided that, you know, I'm going to stay and make a difference, you know, and, and the first decision was I was going to write a book and I was going to, because I didn't want my brother's life just to go amiss, that it was just another addict that died, someone that took some drugs, you know, I wanted his name to, to live on, you know, I wanted to maybe inspire people to get off the drugs and stuff like that. So, so I put pen to paper. I'd never written a book, you know, it took me about a year, but I wrote a book and, you know, I got it published on Amazon that become a, an Amazon best-selling book from the book. I wrote an addiction program called the seven day beat addiction plan. Um, and I started up some help and support groups um, because I just didn't want anyone to go through what I've been through. Mm. You know, it's just, it's absolutely life destroying and you never get over it. I mean, we're, you know, 2014, what's that? Almost eight years. It would probably be eight years in May. You know, you it's still, 
as it was then as it is now. I mean, it's something that you have to live with. People say, oh, you get over these things. You never get over these things. No. But then, do I want to get over it? Because it's my driver. Yeah. You know, you know, someone asked me this evening, like, you know, don't you ever get tired of this? Don't you get brain fog, you know, helping so many people? And the answer is no, because I'm driven. This isn't a job. This is my passion. This is what, you know, it, if if ever there was a life purpose, this is my life purpose to help others, you know, get out of this because there's so many other people suffering. I've got a really good friend of mine who's been on the podcast and touching his addiction as well. And he's going through the AA um, and the steps and, and everything like that. And that's, that's his journey, but he's 31, 32 now. And he's, he's struggled. He's a cage fighter, uh, boxer. So he's, he's struggled with addiction for a long time, but he's, it, every time he had a fight coming up, it was either touch and go, whether he let his addiction overtake him for his training or he would train properly and win the fight. Unbelievable talent, but, completely threw away his career really in his younger days because of his addiction and when you said about obviously the um like the guilt of trying to drum it in more i think there's a lot to be said for people really do just have to go on their own journey like i remember sitting with with my friend and saying to him like, why are you doing this like you're throwing your career away but he wasn't on that journey yet he wasn't on that path and i think the more people who told him to do it a certain way or to get clean pushed him more the other way i think there's like it's hard and it's hard to see obviously people you love and I'm lucky enough to obviously never hope and hopefully I never do experience saying what well, obviously you did but I think it's um it's definitely something where people have to come to that decision itself otherwise I don't think they I, I think the more you push them the more it just pushes them away and it's it's a really hard thing to see people you love doing that but yeah it's it's it, it's a horrible thing, addiction. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna sort of touch on something you said as well. Is it's a question that's in other ways wondered because, again, lucky enough, I, I don't suffer from addiction, um, but I've always never sort of understood. Is it something you're born with, or is it something what like habits create that addiction? Like, do you think there's something internally where um, you may not be obviously wanting drink and drugs and smoking when you're a kid, but you might be have that uh, something within you what does easily succumb to addiction more than what say somebody else would or as i said is it just a habit what then creates that addiction and you get in that cycle and can't get out i mean this is this is the age-old question isn't it i mean you know in in the world of aacana you know the 12-step model they will tell you that you were born with an ism so it's you know it's a gene it's something inside of you and 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 you know you're always going to be like this and this is the reason why you do what you do and and so you know but i don't buy that you know i you know what type of person gets into addiction is is you know in general is a strong-willed person so i'm not saying that everyone that doesn't have addictions is weak-willed but you know everyone that i've ever come across that's got themselves into trouble with addictions is a very very strong-willed you know character and and you know and when you think about addiction you you absolutely have to be strong-willed to be able to manage it because you're not just managing the drug itself you're managing the consequences because every time you take a drug there is a consequence to it whether we like it or not you get the pleasure but then you get the pain and, it, and it's like you know black and white pleasure pain pleasure pain it just it it, it comes as a package so 
So for someone to be able to manage that, you have to be strong willed. So so my take on it is that that, you know, people that do get caught up in addiction are just strong willed. But what we tend to do is we we highlight that to people. We take them through the program, come out the other side and then show them how to use their strong will, common sense. You know, every person I've ever worked with in the world of addiction has an entrepreneurial mind. You know, they're good round a pound note. They know how to duck and dive. Well, actually, with all of those skills that you've had there using for your addiction, if you actually use that in business, you'd be a very good business person. And so, so we don't just teach the escapism of drugs. We actually show them how to use their skill set that they've learned to use it in a business way and go make some money, go create the life that they want and stuff like that. So, so you know, to and and you mentioned the word habit. In the world of addiction, it's, it's never habit. You know, that would just be a false statement. It, you know it's addiction you know and it doesn't have to be a physical addiction it can be a mental addiction there's gambling there's sex there's pornography there's shopping there's social media there's gaming i mean whenever the brain really some sort of dopamine or want and need is created inside that person so you know ultimately what we teach is the mechanics of the mind you know if you looked at the aa model you know you're talking about the religious model you have to have faith in a higher power you have to give your power over to a higher power and, and 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 hope and pray that that higher power will guide you in the in the right direction. Whereas what we do is we teach the you know the science around addiction. So we teach the mechanics of the mind, where your thoughts, feelings, and emotions come from, and how you've wired your neurons and behaviors in a certain way. And then we teach the rewiring of that system and how you build new neurons and new behaviors. So after a you know a short period your brain then pulsates completely sober and everything or drug free and everything else. You know, all you're left with is, is your memories of it, but the actual addiction becomes, you know, distant and, and, and so far away that it never becomes a, a problem. So there, there are two different paths, you know, one is, as I said, uh, I mean, it's difficult to say it's religion, you know, in the world of AA, you know, even though they talk about God, they're just talking about higher powers, you know, there definitely is something bigger than us. I mean, look, I'm not a very religious person, but I'm very open minded to the possibility of God, of universal models, energy. Um, I mean, even open minded to, to, to the possibility that we're living in some type of matrix. And, you know, maybe we've already got into the future and this is some sort of organic virtual reality world that we're plugged into. I mean, is it there's so many possibilities you know but i what we tend to do is we we work factual i don't go into faith models I, I try to stick you know we get close to that line where it tips over to faith but we stay behind that line and just teach factual because in factual people you know see what we need you to see and and then you can fix the problem if you can't see what the problem is you can't fix it so um so, yeah, that's, I suppose, is the difference and, you know, trying to answer that question. Mm-hmm. I know it's a bit hard but... No, 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 I understand. It's, it's something what um, I'd, I'd love to understand more about. It's, it's lucky enough I've never had to go through it or see it in my family, but I've seen, um, I've, I've got a really good friend who obviously has gone through it. Another friend who I went to school with 
um, who was an addict. And, and you touched on a point, they're very entrepreneurial. Like both of them now, like the friend who's a cage fighter, he's, um, he's, he's sober over a year now. Uh, he's just pivoted his career to become a professional boxer. He's doing really well. Um, he's got his own sort of uh, business in personal training, um, teaching boxing, things like that. And he's a very, very smart, smart guy. Um, and I can see where that sort of addiction has turned into a positive now. And then, and then the other guy I went to school with, I didn't even think of him at first, but um, he was addicted to to like steroids and things like that and and, and drugs. Um, then when he come off of it, he put his whole attitude into um, uh, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then into work. And now he's living abroad, really doing well. And again, it's, I, I suppose you've got to be so mentally strong to even to, to go through and manage what you said and then to come off of it and be like the mental strength to, to, to sort of beat the addiction. So that all um plays into a factor i suppose of doing something more in life than just sort of the the average boring nine to five kind of thing like you're already mentally stronger than probably the average person who who hasn't gone through such a dark place to get get where they are now yeah i mean and there is another point i mean you know the word eight or you know condition of adhd is is thrown around a lot i mean when we was at school there were none of these conditions but now you know, every other person is ADHD or, or whatever it is. But, you know, what ADHD means is that there's parts of the brain that may not function. Dopamine isn't released for everyday stimulus. You know, we now work with a lot of cellular therapies, like hyper, we use hyperbaric oxygen uh, chambers. We use neurofeedback machines. We've got high altitude machines, which basically allow the body to reset itself. So, you know, so, I mean, we have the ability now to put people back together. You know, we do a lot of damage to the brain, to the organs, to the, but there's, there's ways to reset, you know, start the healing process, as well as the psychological part, which is, you know, which is the main thing, you know, but to know that you can get yourself back, you know, is, is, is a tremendous thing. Because a lot of people think, oh, it's too late for me. You know, I, it, my life's ruined. I've done too much damage. You know, my body's not great. You know, people, you know, and this is where we get into suicide and stuff like that. You know, if someone can't see a future, then the brain then reverts to, well, why don't we kill ourselves then? You know, and people get those thoughts. But if you get those thoughts and don't know the difference between you and the mind, then people start playing out those thoughts. Um, you know, and we need to be aware of that. You know, young men committing suicide and that when you know if they could, we could have just got to them or or got some information to them you know it's not just about drugs it, it's a it's it's uh, you know what we teach is so much bigger you know people come to us i want to stop drinking or taking coke or whatever it is fine we can do that but what we're actually going to teach you is something much much bigger you know and i just think if everybody understood just the simple mechanics of the mind and the body and how we consciously you know are part of that you know, I, th I think the world would just be a, a, a lot better place, you know. But, I mean, I, I do school. To, we go into schools. We do school talks. We do, you know, corporate talks. I don't know. It's, you know, if I, had, if, you know, if we had the cure to cancer, you know, it just, it wouldn't be getting out there. You know, unfortunately, I think we just live in a, in a society where society doesn't want you to know these things. You know, it's, it's, you know, if, I don't want to go off key, but if you if you talked about like the jabs, 
you know, the COVID jabs and that, you know, there's doctors trying to speak out and share, but they get blocked, their their websites get crashed. You know, there's there's a lot of untold truths that are going on when, you know, everyone has a right to understand as much as we could possibly understand about ourselves, you know, and I don't want to get into conspiracy theories and all of that, but you know, if you want to understand the truth, the truths are out there, but you've got to go find it. You've got to, you've got to step out of the status quo. You've got to be able to be brave enough to put your hand up and question the very thing that's going on around us. That's the only real way that anyone will ever get out of addiction or society as, as we know it and, and do something different. So there's always a stronger message behind what we do. But ultimately, you know, beatmyaddictions.com, you know, that's our, you know, name. That's what we, you know, aim to help people. But there's a bigger message for everybody out there that that you need to you need to take control of yourself. The more you control yourself, the more you, you know, get control of the outside world. So um, I touching on on the sort of not the message not getting out there. I, I was against false vaccinations massively. Um, I didn't I didn't agree with it at all. But I understand why the government pushed that. Obviously, I feel like it was a, a money thing, a scare scaremongering thing from the other from other people as well. But why why do you think it's being blocked? Sort of your message and and, and this kind of uh, thing in today's society. Because obviously, like, is it a money thing or or is it sort of like do you know what? Like, why, why is why is the message not being allowed to get out there? Well, because the whole NHS mm. is is run by the pharmaceutical industry. So, so at the beginning, when I first wrote my book, I first wrote my uh, addiction plan, seven day addiction plan. I went to America. I took it to. I thought if I just go to the very top. NIH or NIDA, which is the National Institute for Drug Abuse. If I just go to the very, very top and explain my story, explain my model, you know, give them the model and say, look, what what can you do with it? I thought that would be my job done. You know, I never really set out. Well, you know, I thought I could get some help. Yeah. So, you know, because I'm just one person. But when I got to America and I got an audience with, you know, some of the top scientists in the world, I went with a neuroscientist over there. Um, they basically just said to me, because, you know, you're classified as a holistic treatment, i.e. there's no pharmaceutical drug associated with your program, we can't support it. And I said, but what do you mean? There's there's a solution here. You know, this works. You know, it worked for me. It's worked for all these. You know, I took testimonials and that over with me. Um, they said, unless you can associate a pharmaceutical drug with it, we can't do it. But we tell you what, go back to the NHS, work the NHS, see if you can get some trials done, then come back and see us. So then I came back to the NHS. I went to my local trust. I said, look, I've got this program. I really want to try it. You know, I help with mental health and addictions. So, so they said, yeah, come in. We'll have a look at it. So I worked in the NHS for 12 months. I worked with the mental health services. So I started in A&E with the liaison officers. So when you go in and you've tried to commit suicide, you see a mental health liaison officer. Um, I worked on the mental health walls, mental health prisons, day treatment teams home treatment training. so i went through the whole system showing them my program working with patients and that and at the end of it i said right can we now do a trial 
And so it went upstairs to management or whatever, and it came back down that you we can't use this program. And I said, but why can't we use it? And they said, because it's not pharmaceutical led. So, so to try and cut a long story short, unless there's a pharmaceutical drug associated with your program, you can't get you can't get the help. Since this so one, not, so so it's it's closed shop. The pharmaceutical industry owned the NHS. You know, they own NHS England. You know, it's just so so. You know, and don't worry. Like I've gone to government. I've gone to the Home Office. I've gone to charities. I've gone. You know, I even met Prince Charles and 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 spoke to him, but still nothing has ever been done. So so you know, years on, I'm now resided in the fact that if 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 I need to get this job done, I'm going to have to do it myself, which is the the journey that I've been on and 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 still on now. So, but we run support groups across the country. We're online. I run retreats. I've got a clinics. I work with private doctors and psychiatrists. Um, you know, we do everything that we possibly can, you know, in the time that we've got to help other people. So, so that that's the reason, you know, and it, it's not one individual. It's just when you go into government, you know, and you try and lobby government sitting next to you, the tobacco industry, the alcohol industry, the, the sugar industry, the, 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 the caffeine industry, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, these are very, very powerful lobbyists and, and you try and speak up against one you're going to get shut down. I mean, there's there's not, you know, and you have to understand the MPs, brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and are all sitting on the board of directors of all these companies. I mean, they're, they're clever in what they do, you know, and think about the revenue of the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, in this country, one in four people, one in four are taking either an antidepressant, antipsychotic or opiate painkiller, right. one in four. You think about the revenue coming into the government, mm. you know, the sugar industry just just alone is like billions. Um, the tobacco industry, the alcohol industry, you know, this is all taxes to the government. So why is the government going to speak out? You know, if they're making, I don't know, 100 billion, you know, but 10 billion has to go to the people that are sick and ill. Then they're not going to try and, you know, right, let's ban all of these products because they're going to lose their nine. 90 billion and at the minute we've only got to give away 10 so let's keep the 90 billion and keep our mouth shut i mean it, it it's it's you know it's that's that's really what's going on without getting obviously too conspiracy as well obviously it's, it's the same reason why they they pushed the sort of false vaccinations then wasn't it really the well, i say false vaccinations but like they they made you get vaccinated to go into certain places people couldn't their job because obviously it'll come down to to money again which is it's a shame because we think obviously the government's got our best interests at heart when realistically they haven't. Um, it's kind of a no-win sort of situation for somebody like yourself who is actually trying to make a real difference. It must be really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's um, very frustrating. I mean, to be honest, I'm sort of over that part now. You know, the first, I committed the first three years of this Mm. to doing that you know to you know a year in nhs i traveled to america i went i spoke at the european union um i've spoken in westminster i'm sort of over all of that now i, I sort of recognize that it's not really possible to make changes there 
the best way we're going to make changes is to individuals and groups out here then you know underneath the radar the, the voice will get stronger you know and at some point that voice will then tip over to the establishment and then that voice will be so loud that it will have to be heard and so we're, I'm sort of going the other way now, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because I went in like not starry eyed, but but with the belief that someone's going to pick this up and go, wow, Chris, what you're doing is amazing. We need to roll this out in a school program and, and education and and have it in doctor surgeries. And, you know, I wasn't even selling anything. I was giving it away. I mean, I just, you know, the job's so big that, that it's, you know, it's bigger than me as a person you know and so it needed an awful lot of of help in the background so but realizing that we're not going to get that help and you know and i've been on bbc television i've been on the news i've been worked with a-list celebrities i mean i mean you know one thing i've proved is is that everything is accessible people are accessible you know governments are accessible but to, to make the changes is something else. And and everybody seems to be on their own agendas and stuff like that. And, you know, and unfortunately money comes into it and stuff like that. So, so yes, it's frustrating, but, you know, I'm on a path, you know, we're doing well, we're helping a lot of people. And as I said, we just work underneath the radar until such time as it, you know, but as for the vaccinations and stuff, I mean, it's like, you know what we should have done you know and it's always in hindsight is you know it's a bug we've all got to get used to the bug but as the bug keeps coming out it gets lesser and lesser and lesser you know and our immune system gets stronger and stronger and stronger we just try to override that natural system you know by experimenting with drugs and unfortunately you're now seeing the 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 consequence of that with inflamed you know inflammation in the heart people having heart attacks you know, I've had some very close people to me just drop down dead since, you know, so it's, and you, you watch the footballers. I mean, that's where you see a lot of it, the sports people, you know, but is anyone going to be able to prove it? Are they ever going to take, see the thing with vaccinations, it's not like the pharmaceutical industry. See when companies, there's, there's a universal law or a universal law, a worldwide law that says that you cannot sue for a vaccination you could sue a company for a pharmaceutical drug but you can't sue for vaccinations and that's how they've got away with it that's mm-hmm. how they've done this massive experiment and even though people are dying and have died there's no comeback you know but again it's another story and for another time but you know it's just trying to understand what's going on and see through all the bullshit and you know so do you think um social media has played obviously a big part in how the the covid vaccination got pushed out and also have you seen like the social media play a big part nowadays in in people's addiction and uh, and depression and things like that have you seen or or has it always sort of been the same from from your side i don't know this this argument about social media and and you know i think it's you know whatever messages are being pushed out on social media, they were being pushed out through, through other channels before that anyway. So um, I don't know, our lives have changed, you know, our lives will never be the same. COVID has changed us. 
social media has, has, has changed us. You know, I'm more that, you know, we have to embrace these changes. They're out of our control. So instead of maybe fighting them, it's just to try and find how we can make good of them, you know, learn from maybe the mistakes and, and, and like this whole thing that my purpose is, is of education. It's to try and educate people. We're not escaping the addicted society. So it's trying to educate people in this addicted society to be able to live better, you know, use social media in, in a, in a certain way, but not, where it's harmful to the yourself or others. I mean, it's just, it's the whole thing is about education, not saying to people that you shouldn't do or you can't do. It's actually saying that these are these are some of the consequences of this, you know, and you may or may choose to do or not to do something. You know, it's about giving people back choice instead of, you know, saying to people they can or can't do something. But there's there's a cause and effect of everything. Mm. You know, social media has a cause and effect. You think about all these young girls and, you know, looking up to the, I don't know, the Kardashians or I'm not really, you know, a follower of all these people, but, you know, and they've got to look and be a certain way. And, you know, I see all the kids now with the big lips and the, you know, the stuff that they inject into their faces and like, you know, I find it quite shocking, mm. but, you know, it's a trend. It's what people are doing you know, I don't, you know, maybe I'm just a bit old fashioned, but to me, you know, it, it's not a good look, but, you know, but, you know, and think about, you know, the, the bulimia, the anorexia, the, the, you know, the online bullying that goes on. I mean, look, it just, you know, as I said, we, we're not going to get rid of it. So it's, it's, we need to just embrace it and, and educate people to the good and the bad of it, I would say. So, with your your program and and your teachings, obviously, there's a lot of it, it's, it's based around addiction. But would it be helpful for people who are depressed as well and, and suffer from anxiety? Because I feel like there's so much knowledge what you can you can give to people that I feel like it it can help absolutely everybody, even people who are not just suffering from addictions. Yeah. So so yeah, because. I mean, look, we called the business, I mean, we've got two parts of the business. We have beatmyaddictions.com, which is like the commercial side where we we you have you get a personal mentor, like a personal trainer, and that person works with you every single day until you get out of your, you know, predicament, whatever it is. And then we have our charity side, which I named it after my brother, robhillfoundation.org, where we offer free services and free mentorship and free support and stuff like that. So 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 predominantly i created the business to help people in addictions but as we've been talking about through the interview what i actually teach is much more bigger than addictions and yes it does help people in depression anxiety habits behaviors relationships i mean like you know i make the statement that 95 percent of our problems only exist in our head Mm. you know even these outwardly things are going on it's the way that our mind perceives what's going on in front of us so so if you're someone and you don't like your the experience that you're having in life instead of trying to fix it outwardly i would always encourage people to go in first because it's only the way that your mind is perceiving the situation which creates the emotion and feeling that you're experiencing so someone that's in got anxiety or stress or has got depression 
is coming from your internal mechanics because that's the way your mind is perceiving what's going on. And you could argue, well, this is going on. Someone just died or I've just split up from my long-term partner or whatever it might be, or my dog's just died. Okay, but the, but the emotion and the feeling from that is coming from a mechanism that's inside of you. So, so by understanding the separation model, we have the ability to go back in and change things. Now, for some people, that might be a coming to terms with, a forgiveness, a letting go of. I mean, there's several ways that we can deal with depression because all depression is is unresolved issues that might have been going on now, gone on before, or, or what you perceive is going to happen in the future again is is being created by the by the by the mind which creates the emotion and the feeling so 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 whatever you might be feeling at this moment you have the ability to change now we don't have a choice i don't wake up and say well i'm going to have good feelings all day and and demand that it doesn't work that way what it requires is a communication with the mind to be able to ask for change but if i say to my mind i hate you and i want you to get rid of these bad feelings my mind will only act like a mirror and just mirror back to me for more bad feelings and emotions because that's what I'm fighting against. So, so really the rule of thumb is, is to stop fighting the system and actually open up a dialogue and let's take a conversation instead, instead of trying to blame or, or, or fight or, you know, because that's what we call the willpower method in, in the world of addiction. You know, everyone's fighting the system. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to do it. I'm never going to do it. You know, my kids, my wife, the did, the, 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 you know, but they're, but they're, it doesn't that matter how long they fight for. Eventually the system is going to override them because they're not going to the source of the problem. The source of the problem is their internal mechanics that have either wired themselves to a certain behavior or, or, or addiction um, and, and doesn't know how to switch itself off. I mean, I'll give you a really good example. Like if my computer got a virus, even though my computer is highly sophisticated, highly intelligent, it doesn't possess the common sense to be able to delete a program, take itself to, back to factory settings and restart, reboot itself. It doesn't know how to do that. And even though I haven't got the intelligence of the computer, I possess something that it doesn't. And it's called common sense. See, common sense says to me, oh, you know, crap, I've got a virus. OK, delete that program. I'll tell you what, take it back to factory settings, reboot it, start it again. Boom. You know, the, the, the virus has gone. And that's the same with the mind. The mind is no different. The mind is just a computer program you know, highly intelligent, highly sophisticated. But if it gets a virus, it doesn't know how to reboot. So at some point, we consciously have got to kick in with some common sense and say, right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to reboot. I'm going to get rid of the drug. I'm going to go for a, a withdrawal. I'm going to talk to my mind. I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to, you know, and we reboot the system. And that's how you get rid of a, a habit, a behavior, addiction, you know, and we've been, I mean, this is, you know, you have to understand I was got through alcoholism, you know, a crack addiction, cocaine addiction. You know, I used to smoke 40 cigarettes a day and that was midweek, you know, because when I smoked, it was like five pound a packet. What is it now? 12 pound a packet. Mm. I mean, you know, so it was affordable, you know, and when I smoked, you could smoke on buses, on planes, on trains. I mean, we used to sit in a restaurant between courses and smoke cigarettes. You know, you'd be arrested now for mm. doing that. You know, you'd be you'd be jumped on. So, 
but you know that was the world that we lived in i mean so but you know i don't have anyone on need i haven't done in the last you know 17 years to do any of those things because back then i was able and knowledgeable enough to be able to switch it off and i've not suffered with it since so you know i don't class myself as an addict i don't class myself as a recovering addict you know i just you know i see myself as anybody same as anybody else but i've just got you know different life experiences i've experimented with this i've experienced this you know so i've got life experience but i'm not recovering from anything you know i'm no different than someone that's never even taken a drug because there's no physical want or need inside of me to do these things and hasn't been for for 17 years hmm I want, to, I want to talk about your um, your clinics, what you have, and and some of the um, like the high tech machinery you have as well. Uh, John, tell me a little bit like what what you've got and and how it works and and what it can be used for. Yeah, so I mean, look, three years ago, three years ago, maybe a bit longer, three and a half years ago, we didn't have any of this technology. Um, I work with like some psychiatrist doctors up in London, um, and it was that they were the first people to introduce me. You know, the first thing that we was introduced to was like a neurofeedback machine. Now, I didn't know what neurofeedback was, but but now, you know, I understand that, you know, in our brain, we have neurons, we have billions of neurons that, that when a question is asked, our brain fires neurons and delivers us the answer. You know, so if someone asked me, what's my name? Well, my name is Chris. And if they said, well, two times two, well, it's four. Okay, so but where did I get that information? Well, it came from my mind. See, see, consciously, we don't really hold any information. All information is learned information and stored in the brain. So, so, but through life, through addictions, what are we doing? We're knocking out our neurons, we're shutting the system down. So, so you know, in the end, if you think about neurons like road networks, you know, we're you know. If, if you looked at the road network of Britain, if all of a sudden we shut the M25, the M3, the A1, you know, if we shut all of these major, you know, motorways, the traffic would still be coming. But instead of coming free flowing, it would be now coming into what we call a, a traffic jam. So when people are now trying to retrieve information, it's not coming quick enough. And so with this technology now, we've been able to reignite the neurons in the brain which allows information to start to flow. Memory comes back, retrieval of information and functionality. So, so that was the first thing that we discovered. And, you know, and when we went through lockdown, you know, I learned about hyperbaric oxygen chambers, which is the ability to basically flood the body with oxygen. Oxygen is the regeneration of cells. Out here, we can only breathe not oxygen bubbles, but when you're in a hyperbaric chamber, it liquefies oxygen. So you can get about 400% more oxygen into your body, which then nourishes the body. You know, you think about the damage we're doing to our liver, our kidneys, our, you know, our brain. So, so basically oxygen then starts to regenerate the body. So we use that. Um, we use a, a, a new technology called thin air, which basically reduces oxygen through a mask, um, but it creates a condition called hypoxia, what hypoxia means is the system kicks in and says, oh, we haven't got enough oxygen. And it basically, you know, turns the system in on itself. So the system has to re-regulate, resets the dopamine, the serotonin. You know, it basically gives the body like a, an MOT 
which resets you. So, so you start releasing dopamine and serotonin for everyday stimulus. Um, we use red light uh, beds that basically strong red light energizes the body. So it's like plugging yourself into a battery charger. And then we use infrared saunas, which detoxify the body, you know, and it heats you from inside out and it takes out all the poisons and the toxins and, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, we have a lot of, we call it cellular therapy. So we work with the psychological part of addiction, but we also work with, you know, the physical body to return that back. And yeah, so we've got a clinic here in Sidcup. Um, we're about to open one in Canary Wolf and we've got like a seven day retreat where people can just go away for a week, learn the, 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 the model, the psychological part, and they get all of the cellular therapy. So, you know, I mean, literally in a week we can turn, you know, people, it almost sounds unbelievable, I know, but we can, within a week, we can turn people's lives around. But that isn't the end of the recovery because it's, you know, seven days of learning, 10, we have like 10 days of withdrawal or change process. You have three months learning how to be back in an addicted society. You have six to 12 months of residual memories that go on, you know, and I suppose just like learning a trade, you know, we can teach it quickly, but to become an expert in you, how long does it learn a trade? Maybe a couple of years. Yeah. But then after a couple of years, you, you are a complete expert in you, your emotional state, your habits, your um, what's good for you, what's not good for you. You know, you, you just become an expert in you. And once you become an expert in you, you know, it's a, it's almost like that's the gift of life, isn't it? To, to you know, be an emotional be your emotional self back in your natural state of being you know and that's what we do we we try to get people back as quickly as we possibly can and um we do it very successfully and how do people um sort of get into your clinic or, or get on the program is it is it like a paid program or is it through the charity yeah so no so through the charity we 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 have a free seven day plan booklet download um, and we have a free support group online every Monday evening. These are live support groups. Um, and we have some physical um, workshops where people can attend around the country. So so for all of our free services, it's robhillfoundation.org. Um, and, yeah, you just log on, register and stuff like that. So for the paid services, so they're the one-to-one -one mentorship daily or we have a seven-day retreat on the isle of Wight. you know so they're paid services um you know so it just whichever way someone goes they're going to get the help mm. you know it's, but it's how they enter into this you know but unfortunately you know things cost money you yep. know when you get a private doctor see if you go to your doctor you're on a, on a waiting list you know if you go to drug and alcohol services you're on a waiting list and when people come to us that they need immediate help so that's why it becomes a paid service because we need to get a private doctor you need to get a prescription we need to get you over to a, a, a retreat you need to have a residential for seven days you need then you need a mentor for another few weeks you see it's you know it's paying for time so you know it's it's a difficult situation but you know this is the reality of of what we're living in so well yeah of course if it wasn't paid you won't be able to provide that service then that doesn't help anyone does it no so you know but there is this thing you know of an addict mind will tell you that the service should be free 
Mm. That that you know you should never make money out of someone's misery and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of you know belief that 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 it should just be a given. And and to be honest, through through NHS and, and government, it should be given, but because they don't provide, you know, that kind of service, um, it's 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 not given. And and unfortunately, this is why people have private medical care because they know that the NHS is not good enough. And if you need treatment straight away, that you need private medical care. And that's just the world that we live in. But, you know, but that's why we run a charity because we, you know, not only do we run free services, but we do sponsor people through the charity to come into paid services. But, you, you know, to help the amount of people that we need, we need so much money. It's, it's you know, mm. you know, treats we only help 10 people a month it's a small number when you think about you know the millions that need our help so it's do you have a way you know so yeah 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 but we we look we get people on when people come to us even if we couldn't get them on a retreat we would be able to help them straight away Mm. you know so so like when people come to us they're in dire straits you know no one just comes to us because they want to just try something out. They come to us because they need help immediately, you know. So, so, and we have to provide that service the best we possibly can. Hmm. But you know, as things go on, we will get bigger, and the charity will get bigger, and you know, as as bigger corporations find out about what we're doing, we'll get more sponsorship from you know to to fund people and stuff like that. So, so never anyone listening to this never never worry about reaching out just reach out and we find a way so obviously this is a um, a business mindset podcast uh, predominantly so uh, the the type of people listen to this are uh, uh, um people either want help or within sort of chosen industries um i'm trying to sort of anybody who wants help within addiction as well because i've got a couple of podcasts on that now but a lot of business owners listen to this as well so if if a business owner is listening to this um how do they go about sponsoring you um and and what is that process for them to to do that yeah so so if you go to robhillfoundation.org um you will see that there's a donation page there's contact numbers so you could get in contact with us um, you could sponsor one of our free workshops. You could sponsor someone coming to a retreat. Um, you know, we could share that story of that person with them. Um, so there's there's lots of different ways. I mean, one thing I would say is, you know, and this is not about sponsorship. This is about an individual that might be thinking about reaching out and getting help. The moment someone tries to to get help like you know i'm going to ring chris and i'm i want to sort my alcohol problem out at the point of them deciding that they're going to ring their mind will kick in and it will try and and it will try and change their mind it will try and change their decision see see you know a lot of people wait and think i'm just going to wait for the right time when the time's right i'm going to get help unfortunately they're going to have a very long wait because the internal system that they believe is on their side is actually working against them and any kind of decision to get help will be strongly you know disagreed with by the emotion feeling and thought that goes on inside of them so so just that making people aware of that you know but just because your mind says don't do it 
you know consciously common sense says i need to get out of this so you know pick up the phone and just make the call so okay um yeah i really i really hope this this helps somebody this podcast i really hope somebody listens to this does get in touch with you even if it's just one person um it's always it's always worth it um what advice would you give sort of like somebody who who's on the edge of thinking they might be an addict but they're also just going out partying getting on a bit of gear sort of not really seeing themselves as an addict but uh, kind of knowing that what they're doing is not right or what have you got any advice for that i mean it's difficult because i mean i don't want to say that everyone needs to stop you know smoking drinking taking recreational drugs gambling sex porn i mean it's just you know i suppose the best advice is if it isn't causing you or anyone else any harm then there isn't any reason to stop but if you recognize that there is a problem, uh, there's a, either a problem with your behavior, or it's causing yourself harm, or it's causing other people harm, then I would encourage people to reach out and, and just get some simple information. Just start to educate yourself to the consequences of what's happening. See, the mind has the ability to block out all of the bad. You know, you go out on a Friday night, you drink, get sniffed up, you know, you stay out to the early hours, you come home, you row with the missus, you've done all your money, you know, and then you sort of have to duck and dive for a bit. You feel crap on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But see, by Wednesday, the mind's already cleared out all of the bad thoughts and it's now encouraging you to go and just have one drink. So then Wednesday, Thursday, you go back out on the Friday, one drink, two drinks, three drinks, sniff this, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, and we repeat the same behavior. So, so you know, if you recognize there's a problem, reach out. If it's all going well, don't stress, you know. But if you ask me my own personal opinion, you know, be it alcohol, recreational drugs, they're all based upon illusions. The illusion of the pleasure, the illusion of the grandeur, the 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 what you think you're getting, you're not you know and and when you wake up to the actual reality of what's really going on that's when you can take back the power and 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 everything else but you know just for now i would just say to people you know if you recognize that there is a problem reach out get some information you know and let's see how we can aid you in 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 actually changing something i've got to ask you as well at the beginning um what what was the initial thought process for you getting off of or, or you starting this journey yourself? Because obviously, um, was you working while you were smoking crack? Was you was you continuous working? Like, was you was you fine? Yeah, so, yeah. So I've always been a functioning. If there was ever a label, I was a functioning addict. If we was ever to use a label of an addict, mm. so always functioning. I had to work. You know, we had to work to make the money. Because if you didn't make the money you know, you wasn't going to go and get the drug. So, so, you know, and most people, you know, people have this image of an addict that they're a down and out, they're robbing houses, old grannies, you know, and I'm, I, you know, there are those people out there, but, you know, in general, people that have addictions, it's a social thing. You know, it is a Friday, Saturday, maybe on a Wednesday night, 
you, you know, it's, see, and this, this is, see, people don't ever believe that they're an addict because I'm not doing it every day. I don't wake up and have a drink. I don't wake up and have a line of Coke. I only do it when I'm out with my mates. Like we've normalized it. We've, you know, we've created a social, you know, situation for it. So, so that's why people don't, but, you know, reality is if you drink or you smoke or you take a drug you have a dependency on it whether you do it once a week once a month once a year i mean once i helped someone stop smoking cigars he smoked cigars on christmas day but wouldn't smoke cigars for the rest of the year but he came to me to stop smoking cigars now anyone looking out with Liam would say listen you haven't really got a problem you're only smoking three cigars a year on christmas day you're never going to get lung cancer you're never going to die what are you worrying about? But but what he wanted to get rid of is for 364 days every year, he thought about smoking cigars. And so then we put him through the, the program, switched off the thing. He now doesn't smoke cigars on Christmas Day, and he doesn't think every day about smoking cigars for 364 days. So, so whether you do a little or a lot, you're in the trap. It's just whether or not you recognize you're in the trap and do you want to get out of the trap? And if you do, then you'll follow a program like ours. And if in if you don't, then you just stay in 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 the illusion of, of you know the grandeur of of what you what you are perceiving. But listen, people live and die and never ever recognize that there was ever a problem in the first place. And you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, it, it's 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 completely down to an individual, you know. If it's all pleasure and no pain, why have you got to stop? So, so you know, you can only ever help someone that recognizes that there's a problem. And if there isn't a problem, you know, I, I socialize with people drinking and some people taking recreational drugs all the time. I mean, it's not, and I'm never judgmental, and it's not my problem. If that's what you want to do, it's fine. I, it's you know, we're not here to change the world. We're just here to change individuals if they want that change in themselves. Mm. Yeah, um, you know it's you know it's a journey that people have got to go on. Yeah, you know, it, there's no quick fix. There's no magic wand, magic pills. Um, you know, it's hard work. It's determination. Um, a, a will to want to succeed. Um, which I believe is inherent in all of us. It's just I think a lot of people get lost in the system. They get mm -hmm. lost in, in 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 you know society. They get lost in 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 the way that life was was told to them, and mm -hmm. it hasn't panned out the way that they thought. I mean, we all grew up thinking that we were going to excuse me be millionaires, and we we're going to be retired by we're fifty and you know and thirty, forty, fifty. We and we would have travelled the world, and you know I think we all have the same you know similar beliefs in the world but when you get into your 30s and your 40s and you know potentially your 50s and life hasn't turned out that way you know we we need to just look at life slightly differently but the good news is there is a life on the other side of this you know and I'm living proof of that you know I've experienced 20 years through drink and drugs and I've experienced you know 17 plus years now you know completely free of drinking drugs so i can categorically tell you that this is a better life over here and it's a different life and and it doesn't come with all the illusions and and and, and everything else that i was thinking i was experiencing over here and over here there's true happiness 
you know, and you, you can't go into a shop and buy a bottle of inner peas, inner calm, inner happiness. You can't buy this. You know, it's something that you have to create inside of you. And, you know, we found we found that way. We found that way to get there. So, so you know, as I said, it's a journey that people need to go on. And if you're prepared to go on the journey, then then we've got the roadmap to 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 get you there. So so it's good. Uh, one one last time as well. How, how do people find you and how do they get in touch with you? So, yeah, it's Chris Hill, BeatMyAddictions.com. Um, you'll find us on Google, Internet, um, Facebook, um, Instagram. I'm more on Facebook than I am on any other social media outlet. But, I mean, yeah, just Google Chris Hill, Beat My Addictions, and come and find us, yeah. Perfect. Thank oh, there you. is a phone number, sorry, 0800 644 6313. That's 0800 644 6313. And you're currently in SIGCUP and you're opening one in uh, Canary Wolf soon. Yeah, so we've got a clinic opening in Canary Wolf. We, we're online, so it doesn't matter where you are in the country or the world. Um, and yeah, we have a retreat on the Isle of Wight if you fancy getting away for a week and just, just working on yourself. So we call them like mental health spas. So without the massage, you come and, you know, we, we work on your mental health through the cellular therapies and, and the mental health. So so if you fancy a mental health spa, MOT, then come and get in touch and, yeah, we, we'll get you some help. Yeah, perfect. I think a lot of people could do that, me included, um, in today's world. But I really appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for, for your time today. Thanks for, for coming on. Um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And I, I really do hope that this, this podcast helps um and helps get your name out there and helps achieve obviously everything you're trying to achieve as well yeah appreciate it thank you that's right see you soon chris all right cheers buddy